is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Deep hooray! It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance! Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. It is a pleasure to be back. It is a bright, sunshiny morning here in downtown Chicago. It's a little cold. The windshield wipers weren't exactly uh, cooperating on my drive downtown this morning, uh, but that's neither here nor there. We're here talking White Sox baseball with you. We're playing the defense straight away today. It's our usual formation. I'm Connor. Tyler Aki is our producer. Hi, Tyler. How are you, my friend? It's been a minute. It's been quite a minute. How are you, I think, is the better question. I'm very well. Uh, I managed the entire week without getting too badly sunburned, which is a good thing for me. You know, this this pale Irish skin sunburns in moments when you go to the tropical locales, as I did for the honeymoon. Uh, it was a blast. We had a great time, but an overabundance of uh, sunscreen. And just enough shade on the island is, is how I got through it. That and thinking about doing my next White See, Sox Weekly Show. See, you are a veteran and are built for those sort of moments because you work in baseball. You work in outdoor, true. sunshiny venues. It's absolutely true. All summer long. I am. You know, people call it the uh, the farmer's tan. You know, that, that mm-hmm. the, yep. the ringlet right around the bicep yep. because you're wearing the polos. And then you can always spot a baseball scout in the stands, right? Exactly. Either yep. they're wearing Oakleys or they've taken the Oakleys off and you can see that suntan line right across over the ears. That is a that is a baseball I call that the baseball tan. Baseball tan. It's, it's not a that. farmer's tan. There's always a, a like a not a watch tan, but a wristband tan. Always. You'll see that. Always. And then the sock tan, too. That's right. The sock tan is a the trifecta that, there. That game is on. Because usually those guys are wearing the Lulu shorts, you know, that right. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And those will, those will pull up to mid-thigh just yep. a little bit when you're scouting an Arizona Fall League game down in Scottsdale in the middle of October. Uh, looking forward to getting back to all of those things. Uh, we are still in a lockout here uh we'll talk a little bit about that as we go um i want to get caught up with you white Sox fans i want to make sure that i've got the mechanics correct uh you can call the show tyler at 312-332-3776 that's still the phone number we ain't changed that yet you still got it fantastic you can find us on twitter at c1 mcknight that's my twitter handle uh espn white Sox is the Twitter handle for all of our network releases. You're going to want to follow that. Uh, We have a little bit of news. Uh, This came out yesterday. I was in for Sylvie on the Waddle and Sylvie show in the afternoon on the flagship ESPN 1000, and I'll be in on the afternoon show all next week, uh, subbing for Sylvie a couple of days, and then I think Waddle takes off on his tropical vacation. Uh, So I'll be in there, and I imagine uh, that we'll be talking a bit about Major League Baseball's lockout in the next week because there's expected to be a lot going on in the week uh, that's that's on its way to us. But yesterday we found out, and, and I... I'll talk a little bit of lockout here at the the top of the show, and then we'll move on to, I I don't know, some more fun things, I think, a little bit. Get back to the lockout a little bit later, uh, maybe after 930, something like that. But we did find that Major League Baseball has opted to postpone spring training. How long they're going to postpone spring training is is still, you know, kind of up to debate. 
It's not going to start until at least March 5th. And that is, you know, even the conversation around this is still a little bit frosty, not, you know, unlike my drive into downtown today. Major League Baseball says, hey, we're postponing it. Spring training can't start until March 5th at the earliest. The Players Association responded with a with a tweet, with a statement that said, essentially, this is baseball's unilateral decision. This is not something we necessarily agree with. We think we could start spring training on time if we were all negotiating in good faith. Remember, we, you know, we've talked about the negotiations between both sides here as exactly that or as best we can as negotiations. And I guess I should say before we get too far into the show, you know, Tyler, we, we owe a thank you to Jesse Rogers, who is in and covering for me the last two weeks. And I know he talked a lot. I mean, he's been on top of covering the lockout and its situation along with Jeff Passan for ESPN. And I know, you know, you guys talked a lot about the situation over the last two weeks. Um, and we even had Jesse on the sh- on the Waddle and Sylvie show yesterday. It's just that it feels to me in playing catch up. I mean, I'll be honest, over the last two weeks between planning for a wedding and then going on a honeymoon, I'm playing catch up a little bit here. But it seems like things have moved so quickly that some of the stuff Jesse talked about last week on White Sox Weekly, some of the stuff that Jesse and Waddle and I talked about yesterday is is no longer relevant. Things are moving very quickly, even though the negotiations between the two sides seem to be at a little bit of a standstill yet. I would say to me, it almost feels like a lot of running in place right now. It's so much has changed and it looks like there's a lot of activity going on. But at the same time. It feels like we haven't really gotten anywhere, yeah. Too from from three weeks ago to to the point where we are now, and that's part of the frustrating part. Is you hear, oh, they're meeting, and then oh, the meeting was forty five minutes. The meeting was fifteen minutes, and it's like, what minutes. are we doing? I can't, I that, can't schmear a bagel in fifteen minutes. We could do, we could do four, uh, four of those meetings for a White Sox Weekly. We really could. We could cover all. I mean, that's that should be a White. If this thing goes really long, <laughs> we're gonna make one of the White Sox Weekly shows into those fifteen minute meetings. We're gonna recreate them. Is what we're gonna do. Um, yeah, I, I, running in place is a good way of a good way of describing this. I think. Um, want to know what you think about where we're at as as baseball fans, as White Sox fans? Um, I, I think the Sox are in. You know, Sox fans, I guess, are in a bit of a predicament in as much as you've got a good baseball team. You got a team that won a division, a team that went to the playoffs, a team that had an aggravating loss to the Houston Astros. And I would imagine, at least I feel this way, you can let me know if you feel the same. I just want to see the boys back on the field. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see the next chapter of White Sox baseball because 2022 was always set up to be a very important chapter in this part of White Sox history. It was always set up to be a year where, hey, you got Luis Robert fully online, Aloy Jimenez and the names. You know the guys. And 2022 was supposed to be a, you know, if not pivotal, then then certainly very important season in this part, in this chapter of White Sox baseball. As I said, the 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. We are, we here at the, you know, White Sox Radio Network have adjusted our plans a little bit and will continue to do so as it regards our spring training broadcasts. More on that as we, you know, really kind of know exactly what's happened. Ryan McGuire, who's, you know, captain, my captain of the White Sox Radio Network, has, you know, he sent the emails out and adjusted the things and changed the schedules and such. But I would imagine we've got to do that a little bit again uh, and again and again. Oh, this is fun. So actually, I'm interrupting my own thought right now. We're in the first Midwest Bank studio down on State Street here doing White Sox Weekly. All of our shows, every single one since I started, 
um, what was it, almost a year ago today, I think, actually, um, have been upstairs. So now we're downstairs, and as we're hanging out talking, I, I just saw a woman walk by in a White Sox sweatshirt, the giveaway ones, the big block socks, you know, the bar on top, bar on bottom, uh, black and white hoodie. I've got that one. It's a really good look. And I saw three or four White Sox hats. I'm not kidding. I park across the street and just walking in, the kid coming out of Starbucks as I was walking in, White Sox hat. And then on my way in here to the building, one of the attendants was wearing a White Sox, um, uh, what do you call uh, like a pullover. And then I saw another one on the way in with one of the guys who's working in the TV station down the way. Sox fans are ready to see this next chapter happen. You don't wear the stuff in the winter if you're not ready for this whole next chapter to begin in 2022. Um, I've got a few more thoughts on on where the lockout is at, some of the key negotiating points, some of the things that I expect uh, are on the way in some of those negotiations. We'll get to those a little bit later on in the show. But as we've been doing up until the last two weeks when I, you know, selfishly got married and went on a honeymoon, we've been covering the season review and preview series here on White Sox Weekly. We've gone position by position, and we have gotten ourselves down to, I I think, Tyler, just two final spots. There are really only two positions left to cover here on White Sox Weekly, and one of them is even, we kind of fudging it just a little bit. We covered the starting pitching some, and then Carlos Rodon was not tendered, and he's a free agent right now. So, you know, we, we owe starting pitching probably another brush over. But the only other spot we haven't covered is the catcher position. Looking back to last season and looking forward, obviously, to 2022. I, full disclosure, I've been saving this spot for exactly this show. You know, the wedding's been on the books for a little while. The honeymoon had been planned. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to have too many days to sit down and, and, you know, really kind of dig into this. So I want to do, I want to cover a position that I've already got down cold, that I'm really excited about having talked about last year and in this year. So we're going to dig into the catcher spot here on White Sox Weekly. And you know how we do this with the season review, the season preview. Tyler's the wonderkind. He's got highlights all queued up. I want to start with the guy who made the most difference behind the plate. Start with the guy who is the biggest signing in White Sox franchise history. The guy who's really fun to talk baseball with, believe it or not. I've really enjoyed my conversations just kind of, you know, wandering around on the warning track next to the dugout with Yasmani Grandal. The dude loves talking baseball. He, you know, he may do the media stuff and maybe a little bit more quiet when it gets down to some of the more formal interviews. But when it comes to talking about the theory behind the plate, when it comes to talking about hitting what he can and can't cover, all that kind of stuff, yes, Monty Grandal is plugged in and is ready to talk about his craft as anybody else on this team. So, Tyler, let's kick it off the way we do. We've got yes, Monty Grandal highlights throughout the season. Here's one. Pitch driven in the air to left. Well hit. Brantley back. It is gone. It's a home run. And they're within two. 1-0. A drive to right. Off the wall. White Sox win. Yasmani Grandal with a walk-off single. 8-7 the final as they mob him behind the mound. I remember that walk-off single, too. I thought it was gone off the bat. It was an absolute bullet. I think they ended up repairing the wall in right field after the game. It was, I mean, it was hard hit. And that was, that was just Monty Grandal's season. It was, it was a crazy one, but full of power for the White Sox catcher. It was, it was one that, 
Listen, we talked, you and I, White Sox fans and I, we talked a lot here on White Sox Weekly about Yasmani Grandal. He was not, by any stretch, a consensus type of provider for the White Sox when it comes to uh, what baseball fans were looking at, what they wanted to see, what they kind of thought they might get, expectations for Grandal. The shape of the season was a wild one. And we'll get into it more specifically after the break. We'll, we'll talk a lot about Yasmani Grandal, uh, what was 2021, and what you can expect in 2022, and some of the other guys that might factor in behind the plate for the Sox next season. But when you look at Grandal's overall kind of 30,000-foot view, the OPS Plus on baseball reference for Yasmani Grandal was the highest in his career. That's with an injury and only playing 93 games. better than the average major leaguer. A 240 batting average, a 420 on base percentage, and slugging 520. All of those numbers, well, are they on base and the slugging? Career highs for Yasmani Grandal. We'll get into the guy that means a lot in the middle of the White Sox lineup when we get back. Sox fans, single game tickets are on sale now. Be here for it all and watch us continue to change the game in 2022. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. I'm Connor McKnight. You got White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. You can watch us on Twitch, ESPN 1000 Chicago. We are downstairs in the uh, the showcase studio in the fishbowl. Tyler Aki, our producer, and I'm Connor, and we're uh, hanging out talking White Sox baseball with you. Check this out. I you know I know most of these reads uh, by heart. This is a new one, and it's fun. I'm going to have to call Brooks, see what's up. New this season, sweet Flex Packs. Now, that's sweet like S-U-I-T-E, although I'm sure they are sweet, too. They are the perfect combination of luxury and flexibility. With four packs to choose from, you can completely customize your season in a diamond suite. Oh, see, this is cool. Socks have always been really good about, like, you know, flexible game plans and all this kind of stuff. This is the first time they've done it for the sweets, it looks like. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. Woof. Nice little deal there. 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. I want to get back into the Yasmani Grandal catcher spot situation uh, in just a moment. But um, as we're starting this, I started the show, at least on Twitter, uh, by retweeting uh, something that Codify had tweeted out. They're the operation, kind of the third-party thing that maps uh, heat zones for pitchers. Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease, among many, many others in baseball, work with Codify. Lucas has credited that outfit uh, for quite a bit in his remake from, uh, what was that, 19 into 2020? Is that right? Yeah, that's the season I think he started working, the offseason, with he started working there. Uh, and the, the tweet itself was a, was a pretty cool one. And I've, I've seen something like this before. It might have been these guys who tweeted it out again. Uh, it's a video. It's an overlay of a couple of White Sox pitchers. Uh, you know, Lucas, Dylan, Kopech, Lopez, uh, Cease is in it as well. The White Sox, this tweet writes, were the only 2021 Major League Baseball team whose starters got over 2,000 swinging strikes. Not strikeouts. Swinging strikes. No other team had over 1,900. 
That's a fun one for me. And as we're talking about the catcher spot, you know, it, it kind of relates just a little bit. I can think back to Yasmani Grandal in spring training last year talking about Dylan Cease as a guy whose stuff could get him a whole bunch of Cy Young votes in seasons to come. And we really saw Dylan put together a breakout year last year. Got himself into the top 10 in White Sox franchise history in terms of a single-season strikeout number. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, go check out the tweet. C1 McKnight is where you can follow me. And Codify Baseball is uh, where you can follow them. They put out a lot of good stuff during the course of the season. I also wanted to give this to you. Um, we had Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer on a couple of weeks ago. He's one of my absolute favorite baseball writers and one of my favorite Star Wars writers, too, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, we had Ben on the show, and you can download those episodes on the ESPN Chicago app if you're interested. I read his and Sam Miller's book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. He and Sam Miller took over, um, from a front office standpoint, an independent baseball team, the Sonoma Stompers, back in 2015. And this book has been on my must-read list for a long time. I've just never gotten around to it. So I took it with me on vacation. I absolutely devoured the thing. There's a White Sox connection or two in there. They're mentioned a couple of times for reasons that you can read the book to find out. But I got to tell you, the only rule is it has to work by Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller, an absolutely fantastic baseball book. If you're looking for, you know, just something to keep you moving here as we wait for the lockout to come to an end, go check that book out. It's it's great. I couldn't put it down, uh, which my wife was a little upset about at times. But, you know, you're just sitting out there at the pool. You take your moments and you read your book. That was a lot of fun. Okay, back to our season review and preview series. Now that we've got the book recommendations and some of the Twitter stuff out of the way. We were talking a lot about Yasmani Grandal. We've got highlights galore from Grandal's season. So I figure, I don't know, let's kick it right back up into the season review preview series with some more Grandal goodness. And he drives one deep. That ball will go! A three-run homer for Yaz. And what a night he has had. Eight RBIs. That's better than a cycle. That was August 27th against the Chicago Cubs. 17 to 13 was the final. It was a White Sox winner that day. It was a wild one. I think I did the first two games of that series, and then Len was back uh, on the radio side for that third one. If memory serves, but uh, just an absolute. Play. Oh no, that was home. That was right. That was at home. I think is what it was. Never mind. Either way, Grendel, uh, terrific, terrific day. What I'm interested in most, you know, and as I think back, Tyler, you remember this too. When we started White Sox Weekly a year ago, a lot of conversation about Yasmani Grandal was centered around a different player altogether. White Sox fans were very concerned, and I understood it at the time. White Sox fans were very concerned that losing James McCann and going to Yasmani Grandal as your primary catcher behind the plate was going to affect the production of Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease, and guys that had really worked together well with James McCann. Hell, Lucas had credited McCann as much as you know maybe anybody else for changing his pace and really getting into uh, the mindset that got him got Lucas where he needed to be. Grandal overshadowed any of those concerns, though. Uh, McCann struggled with the Mets in his first year in New York. He had a weighted on base, or uh, pardon, OPS plus of 77. Uh, really struggled, had some injuries as well. Grandall had some injuries too, don't get me wrong. But when you look at his ability to, you know, be the elite framer 
and elite receiver behind the plate that you know kind of merited the giant contract that the White Sox gave him uh, along with his offensive production. But I want to deal specifically defensively right now. Grandall was affected a little bit, I think, in his ability to receive and frame pitches the way he had in his career prior. He was 33rd on baseball savant in terms of, what do they call it specifically, runs extra strikes. Just the the amount of runs that you're preventing by getting the extra strikes called that you do by being an elite framer. He was, you know, kind of neutral. He had a zero in that effect. Led the league, uh, Omar Nervaez of the Brewers. He had 10. Boy, he's turned himself into a terrific backstop uh, after a couple years with the White Sox where he struggled some in receiving just a little bit. But you have to remember, too, that Grandall had a knee issue that bugged him through most of spring training, kept him out of a lot of games. He started the season in a modified crouch, you know, kind of the one-leg kickout sort of thing. And if I had to guess... I would say that affected his, you know, overall ability or comfort in receiving pitches from behind the plate and being able to drag some of those breaking balls back into the zone for called strikes. Things got a little better as his knee got better. The offense was, it was wild. I mean, it just, it really was. If you look at his game logs uh, up until the point where he gets, I don't know, he, he gets hurt. Uh, in at the end of May, yeah, May 31st, I think it was. Uh, a little bit later than that, I guess it was July. Still, the guy's hitting like one something for the first two months of the season with an on-base that's still well over 350. Then comes back from the knee issue after surgery faster than anybody's really, well, I shouldn't say anybody, but faster than a lot would come back from that injury and absolutely crushed I mean, what he provided to the White Sox offense in that first four weeks coming back when you've got guys like Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and a couple other injuries too, more day-to-day things like Tim Anderson, these guys were struggling or getting back to a more regular rhythm. And Yasmani Grandal powered the White Sox offense sometimes by his damn self. I mean, that's a huge performance for Grandal. Now, he's a 33-year-old catcher. He's entering, you know, what will be his, let's see, 2012. It'll be his 11th season in the bigs. And I always, you know, this is kind of like a, a Connor McKnight worry special, right? I always worry about the toll catching takes on my offensive minded catchers. That's something that really kind of, um, it, it's always in the back of my mind, maybe more so than others. And guys like DJ, you know, Darren Jackson, he'll look at me and say, no, dude, he's a professional athlete. He's a catcher. He knows how to handle his body. He'll be fine. And I go, okay, great, DJ. Thanks so much. And then I continue to worry about it. Knowing that DJ's probably right, but I continue to worry about it. Socks have some other options behind the plate. Uh, the free agent options were taken pretty quickly off the board right before the lockout ended. We'll get through some of those and some of the other options that the White Sox have behind the plate. We'll take some calls, too. 312 uh, what is it again? I've, I've been off for like two weeks. 332 There it is. Rookie mistake. Tyler catching me up is what it is. Secure your spot this season by locking in a 20-game ticket plan. Take advantage of the best prices and flexible payment plans and 2022 postseason priority. Don't miss a second of the action. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. We'll get to your phone calls. We'll talk a little bit more about the catching spot, and we will you know, catch up with the whole lockout thing before we're done here. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. 
Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN1000. Guitar riffs in existence, little day tripper there. Tyler, have you heard the day tripper uh, Jimi Hendrix mash? It's not a mashup. They actually played together for a little bit. The Beatles and Jimi Hendrix. I have not. No. Oh, it is worth your time. Worth your. You know who's time. a huge Hendrix fan? Uh, well, I mean, everybody. Should Everyone be, should be. But, but you know who's a huge are, Hendrix? Are fan? Are you a huge Hendrix fan? Not me. Not okay. me. All right. I, I like Jimi Hendrix. Wait, but I, I'm, I'm not talking about myself here. No, tough not. Jonathan Hood. Really? Huge Hendrix guy. Hoodie experience, yep. baby. I can see, you know, the next time I see Hoodie, I'm going to bring him, you know, one of the, the headbands that Hendrix would wear. Yes. Not, not the special one. Not the special one anymore. That'd be tough for Hoodie to do a show that way. But yeah, I'm going to bring one of the headbands. Have him do a show yep. like that. It's a good look. If you are looking, that would be unique. But if you are looking for a unique way to start your game day this season, treat your group to a pregame patio party. I love these. You get two hours of an all-you-can-eat buffet along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. We're talking about the White Sox catching position, talking a little bit of lockout. But as always, White Sox Weekly is the show for you, the White Sox fan. So if you got something on your brain, you want to download it here on the show, this is the place to do it. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Dean punched in the digits, and now he is on White Sox Weekly. What's up, Dean? How you feeling, man? My man, Connor McNight, you're working like a madman. It's just what's the night is cooking. Dean, good morning. Uh, when did you get up to start writing that? That is that's a that's a hell of a start. Oh no, 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 man. You know everything is off the top of the head with Dean, man. <laughs> Shout out to the chosen one, Tyler Rocky, man, oh, he's man. and his best friend, Eric, the Sheriff Ostrowski. Those two will be my adopted cuz from day one, one, one. They're good dudes. They're good, good dudes. So, Dean, what's on your mind, dude? Um, I love a good White Sox show. I love anything pro-White Sox because I'm just, I'm just telling you, kids, I'm not a Cubs guy. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. The, the reason I called to talk to you, McKnight, was because I wanted to tell you that thoughts on less than 162. Mm. I know Tyler and, you know, someone in mine and yours camp were like, ah, oh, just keep it the way it is. But at this point, you know, I don't know. What do you think? I'm going to hang up. I'm going to be that guy. That just, hey, you know what, guy? I'm just telling you, kid. Dean, you're a crazy person. We appreciate you, my man. The energy for sure. I, you know, so if the question is, are we playing fewer than 162 this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the odds are probably in favor of coming in short of 162 games. Probably true. I was just talking with Tyler about this, you know, the chosen one during the break. I can be, and I, you know, I like to admit my, my biases as, as much as I can. Um, here on White Sox Weekly, because I, you know, my perspective is is mine. Yours is going to be different, and I think it's fair we talk about those kind of openly. I can be a little Pollyanna-ish when it comes to a little naive when it comes to looking at these negotiations. I think, you know, from my perspective and just kind of the way my brain works, there's a strong incentive to both sides to play baseball games. Does that mean that the owners and, and, and ownership in every sport, you know, this is just kind of how it works. They hold the keys, right? They can withstand a siege 
longer than a player, whether you know we're talking about baseball or football or basketball, whatever, players got a limited lifespan. And in theory, you can own a baseball team for a lifetime. You can play baseball for four or five years on average. That's really kind of what, in the major leagues, I mean, that's really what it is. So do the owners have the ability, the capability to withstand losing games? Yeah, I suppose they do. But if you ask me right now, and and Tyler did during the break, if we play 162, I would say yes. I'm actually cautiously optimistic that this next week, listen, whether the agreement is one that I think makes sense is beside the point. I I don't know that we're going to be in a spot where this agreement between the ownership and players association is one that is either fair or equitable or even, you know, something that can last for a good long time. But I think one gets done sooner rather than later. And I think we've got a pretty decent chance of playing 162 games. Now, Tyler brought up a really good point, and it's one that I've kind of uh, let fall out of my brain over the last two weeks or so. You know, if we do start missing games, you don't go more than likely from 162 down to 161, down to 160, down to 159. We're not counting one day at a time off the calendar. We're probably chopping weeks at a time off the thing. Just in terms of you know, ready to play, stadium availabilities, you know, calling all of your employees back, all that kind of stuff. You know, Tyler, that's that's not going to be a thing where, oh, it was supposed to start Monday, but we'll start Tuesday instead. That, right. Like if you can that. play 161, you can play 162. And if 162 is your initial framework that you're working out of, you're going to do everything in your power to get that extra gate money, that extra ticket revenue, all that stuff. I think that's right. So, yeah, you're right. It, it can't go from 162 to 161. You're, you're looking at weeks, maybe even two weeks at a time. Maybe, maybe. You know, I was reading something on um, Baseball Prospectus, and I forget the author. Boy, I'm going to have to look that up in the break because I hate not crediting the author if I can. Um, but I, there, there was an agreement between ESPN and baseball, Major League Baseball, that if – the two sides, the Players Association and the league, agrees to an expanded playoff format. And I think that's going to happen. But if they do agree to it, ESPN, the, the television network, has the rights to that expanded playoff series. If they don't agree to that expanded playoff series, then ESPN gets eight extra games, nationally speaking, to broadcast on their own. So the Baseball Prospectus article was kind of thinking, okay, there's not really a fair trade. You know, you don't really understand how much is our games worth to the league? How much are these extra playoff games worth? Well, I suppose you could draw the inference that if the league is willing to give ESPN eight extra regular season games, if they don't have this extra playoff round, then maybe that extra playoff round is worth about eight games to ownership. So then you could take a look and say, all right, well, listen, if it takes eight games off the schedule in order for the league to get what it's clearly looking to accomplish in expanded playoffs, then maybe we're looking at at cutting eight games at a time off of this schedule in order to get that extra playoff round that the league wants and that, to be fair, that the Players Association is, you know, kind of willing to give on here. Tyler, we got one. We got time for uh, another phone call here sliding in before the break. All right, let's do that. In Wilmington, it's Mark. What's up, Mark? Uh, congratulations on your wedding, sir. Congratulations. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. This is how I feel. Um, with all the world problems and everything else, and, you know, I mean, I mean, people need this game. And um, if they're going to be that selfish, I don't think anybody's going to come back after all this. I mean, 
people need this game right now. Our, 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 our values are under attack. Our democracy is under attack. The whole world's under attack. And baseball is letting fans down. And I don't think fans will ever come back if if they do this uh, strike or ever whatever it is, this lockout. They have to make an agreement. And, um, I mean, baseball is one of the most important things in people's lives. And um, I think they have to make an agreement right now. I mean, that's what I feel. Thank you very much. Yeah, you got it, Mark. I appreciate it, man. I, it is it is really cool. I mean, I, listen, it, it sucks that we're not talking about pitchers and catchers reporting and, you know, White Sox first cuts and what the 40 looks like, all that kind of stuff. I, I get it. It is, on the other hand, you know, really cool to hear how much baseball means to fans in this day and age. And I think it's an interesting conversation to have, and, and we'll probably have it after the break a little bit here, but, you know, exactly what needs to be accomplished in this CBA in order to make sure that baseball means as much to the next generation as it does to Mark, who, who just called in like that. I feel the same way, man. I mean, to me, baseball is lifeblood. Uh, to me, baseball is how I mark the days. To me, base it's a living. I mean, to be quite honest with you, this is how I make my living. And I'm ready for an agreement. I'm ready for the natural rhythms of this game as much as anybody else. Um, but that's not to say that there aren't important things. There aren't others who make their living in this game, players specifically, who need a couple of things taken care of here. I mean, that's their position. I'm not upset, just for what it's worth. I'm not upset that these two sides are in a lockout and negotiating these terms. I'm upset about the tone of the lockout. I'm I'm upset that negotiations aren't going as well as they could. You know, the reports aren't great, right? The two sides are meeting for 15 minutes at a time, and it's kind of tough to get anything done in 15 minutes. But being able to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement is part of what we do in this country. That's part of how unions work in this country. So I'm not necessarily upset at that particular issue. I get that the prospect of not having as much baseball as we could affects fans. Whether fans come back to the game, whether they're ready to accept what's on the other side of this lockout, that's a bit of a different conversation. We'll get to that when we come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the catching situation for the White Sox as well. That's all coming up on White Sox Weekly. It's ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Experience the all-inclusive Guaranteed Rate Club. This private club includes in-seat service, parking, and unlimited food and beverage ticket packages. Start at 20 games, include flexible payment plans, and 2022 postseason options. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. Fly ball pretty well hit. Deep left center. Celestino watches it go! Zach Collins makes it 5-4 White Sox. 2-0 pitch. Swung on high into the air to left. This ball is twisting and gone. A grand slam for Sebi Zavala. Two home runs in two at-bats. His first two homers of his major league career. And the Sox lead it 
Six to one. Oh, and Sebi would hit a third that day. Three home runs was in that, that game. One game. Oh, so that was. <laughs> so was I. Was I think wild. I was a Sebi Zavala whisperer because whenever I showed up to the park, he did something miraculous. Man, he had a couple of games like like write it down, dude. Put that in an envelope and send it to yourself years later because that is something you just truly couldn't believe. It's White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor. He's Tyler. And the, the whole, we were doing the season review preview episode dealing with the catchers. We thought a lot about Yasmin and Grandal to start. And the other two options for the White Sox last year were Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala. Obviously, Sebi was, I mean, he had two or three days where it was just heroic stuff. The three home runs, even in the loss, it was, you know, kept the White Sox in that game. The, you can even hear it on the call when I, one of the Grand Slam goes up there. I didn't know if it was going to tuck inside the foul pole. I had, it was, it was so high up there and so out. Plus, it was kind of my, you know, last year was my first experience calling big league ball games. And you, you get a guy who's not a home run hitter up there. His first two career homers happened in that game, sort of the third. You, and he, you put that swing on it, ball goes in the air, and you go, oh, well, you know, he doesn't, it's not like he's got 40 in the show or anything like that. I don't know that this is going to get out. And yet it did. So that to say, you know, when we're talking about the White Sox catching position in 2022, yeah. Are Sebi Zavala and Zach Collins ready to take on the full-time backup role? Are, are they ready to split responsibilities in some way in backing up Yasmani Grandal? I think those are fair questions to ask. I was, we were talking about this leading up to the start of the lockout when free agency was open. We saw a flurry of signings. There were, not many, but a few backup catching options that the Sox might have been able to get into. You know, guys like uh, Roberto Perez or Jan Gomes or, you know, even Manny Pena or Pedro Severino. These guys were were out there, although I think Severino got uh, his option picked up uh, by the Brewers instead of signing as a free agent. Either way, there were guys you might have been able to make moves for, guys you might have been able to sign and kind of lock up that backup catching spot. The White Sox didn't. That doesn't mean they won't make some sort of move. Uh, Carlos Perez, too, is in the system and uh, had a good season in AAA. Uh, will likely start in AAA, I-, I think, for 2022. But that's a guy that could, with the options he's got, um, be a, uh, James Fegan put it on the athletic, a convenient option for the White Sox behind the plate. Now, you got to remember, Savala has some options. Zach Collins has an option left by virtue of only spending or or spending fewer than three weeks in the minor leagues in 2022. The timing of his call back up to the big league squad was exactly for that to allow the White Sox the opportunity to bring him back for another season and be flexible that way. That said, defensively, I I think Sox fans and I, I think Tony La Russa himself has kind of mentioned defensively, there have been some issues with Sebi and with Zach independently. Uh, whether they can catch runners is another conversation altogether. Yes, Monty Grandal had some issues doing exactly that last season, although I think health affected uh, his ability to get up from behind the plate and fire the right throw down to second base in time, too. A lot of that can be on pitchers, obviously. You know, when you're looking at a stolen base opportunity, it's not just the time it takes for the catcher to get the ball down to second base. It's that plus the time it takes the pitcher to deliver the ball to home plate in the first place. And then there's the tag. Some of that's on the pitchers. And it was Tony LaRusso's contention at the end of season press conference that he gave that one of the things the Sox will be working on quite a bit in spring training, when it starts, is making sure that they hold the run game down. 
those things can improve your overall record kind of on the margin, maybe a game or two here or there. They can certainly help in a postseason situation, you know, when you're playing shorter series and each 90 feet matters just a little bit more. Still, that backup catching spot, I wouldn't be too surprised if we see another option kind of materialize uh, over the next couple of weeks, I should say over the first couple of weeks once this lockout has ended, and I think it will. You can become a White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, the Friday Five, pre-sales, and other exciting Sox content delivered free to your inbox. Visit whitesox.com slash email today. All right, I wanted to, to wrap the show at least a little bit here um, with with kind of my overall look on, on what I hope happens this next week in Major League Baseball's lockout. There's been some meetings. They haven't been all that great. Major League Baseball has proposed a couple of things that seem tough to swallow, especially uh, the announcement that they made. I think it was Thursday that they'd like to cut the minor league options, the minor league opportunities from 180 players to 150 players. I am a big supporter of minor league baseball, minor league baseball players. I grew up going to minor league games and having a lot of meaning attached to that. It means so much to individual communities that these minor league teams are located in. I want more of these and not less. So that was a a tough one for me to hear. And who knows if that um, proposal goes through. A lot of these are negotiating just kind of just places to be in the negotiation. I think a couple of things will be key to watch for over this next week. You know, the Players Association has asked or has put on the table that arbitration, you know, the process that starts and, you know, the player gives a number, the team gives a number. If they go to arbitration, a third party rules on whether this number or that number is going to be the salary for the player going forward. That's how it used to work. Players wanted that to be in existence for players after two years of service, not three. I think that's a thing it looks like the Players Association might be able to give back on and say, okay, let's just do zero to three like we used to. Then they could get some things in return. One of those things I think they may get are teams, all of the owners, agreeing to a pool of money, and this has been out there for a little bit, a pool of money that would get allocated to players who are in that zero to three years of service time. You know, standouts who you know, win awards or provide X amount of wins above replacement to their team in those first years of services, they get that pool of money dedicated to their salaries and they get, you know, kind of made whole that way. And that's something that that increases the players associations, um, you know, willingness or 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 desire to get some of those young players players paid the way they ought to be. The other thing is the the cap, the luxury tax number, and that's something that I think is quite obviously the, the biggest sticking point for the league. I hope that we're able to find a number there between the two sides that allows teams to be as competitive as they ought to be with all the talent in this league, with all of the possibilities that are on the table for the White Sox and other teams to improve and make runs at the World Series. I mean, shoot, that's the kind of stuff you got to spend money to make money in a lot of cases. And I would hate to see a league that has operated you know, without a, a hard cap for years, although ostensibly it's operated with a, a de facto hard cap for the last couple. I, I would like to see you know, this league kind of put their money where their mouth is and be able to do the kinds of things, sign the kind of players, create the kind of teams that we used to see back in the days, right? You know, the Braves and their run, the Yankees and theirs, like... Whether you liked them or hated them, they were good for baseball because they were great teams. 
And those generate opinions and those generate fans. Here's hoping we get back to it sooner rather than later. Um, We will update you on, on where the lockout has been next week on White Sox Weekly, 9 until 10. Big thanks to Jesse Rogers for filling in over the last two weeks. Big thanks to Tyler Aki, our producer, for keeping us on today. Uh, I see Pat Boyle in the bullpen. So the hockey show with him and Brian Hanley is next. Thanks for listening to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor, and we'll talk to you next week.